And, I mean, I don't know where to start. <laughs> I honestly don't. Um, this episode is being recorded after the night that myself and my family, practically my entire family, including my mom, my mom who wanted to come out to see this, because her rationale was, A, she pretty much knew all the superheroes because of us, which is accurate, and B, the most strongest, I mean, practically the steel beam that she hit me with, if it weren't for me, you couldn't afford all those comic books and action figures and all that stuff. I was like, you know what? She funded my love for all of this superhero. Just all of it, all of it. And she sat there with me. She actually sat to my right and it was a family affair. We took up eight seats, potentially could have been 10, 10 of us deep. And we sat there and we watched Spider-Man No Way Home. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the season finale of season... Oh my god, I don't even know what season I'm on at this point. Season 3, I think, of Heroes Retreat with Noel Cruz. I am your host, and I want to thank you guys for joining me. Uh, this is this season's finale. I'm about to confirm what season I'm on because I don't even know. And in all fairness, guys, my day job has been driving me bananas. <laughs> it's been crazy busy, uh, which is why these episodes have been few and far between. Um, but what I do want to say is I'm incredibly grateful. Um, I'm glad that I, you know, I'm able to do this uh, final episode based on my review for Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, before I proceed, I do want to say that this will be a spoiler-filled review. If you have not seen the movie, please stop and listen to another one of my episodes based on something else. I, I've done a, a superhero showcase based on Spider-Man, if that may interest you, or whatever. I, Avengers Infinity War, Batman Begins, whatever I have in my, in my archives of, of my episodes... Please don't you do don't do yourself the disservice of listening to this episode if you have not seen the movie. And so I'm deterring you right now because this will be completely spoiler filled and it has to be. If not, I don't think I've could have done justice in reviewing this film accurately and properly. So go see the film, come back, and hopefully we will be of the same mindset. Um, but that being said, with my entire family. In a packed theater, IMAX theater no less, myself, my nephew Victor, his girlfriend Stephanie, my nephew Devin, his girlfriend Kelly, my mother, my older brother Victor, Victor Cruz, his girlfriend Vicky, myself and my mom, we sat there in row G of the IMAX theater, and if you've ever been to the AMC in New York City on 68th Street and Broadway, you know, that's a huge screen. And that's where we got to see it. And I honestly, I, I, I don't know how to start. So I'm just going to start and we'll take it from there. So a little bit of Spider-Man history. He was created back in 
I believe, 65 uh, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And I love the fact more than ever that uh, Steve Ditko is getting credit for all of his contributions to Spider-Man. Because in this film, they definitely shine. Um, so many animated TV shows, so many motion pictures, different actors who have portrayed him. This iteration of Spider-Man, Tom Holland, was introduced in my favorite Marvel film, Captain America Civil War. It's just my personal favorite. There are definitely better Marvel films. I'm not going to argue that. Infinity War is amazing. Endgame is like the Ten Commandments of superhero movies. It's just amazing on every level. But what I saw last night was a game changer. Marvel tends to do this. Marvel listens. I don't like the, the term fan service because this is so much more. Fan service is like when they did Aquaman, right? With Jason Momoa. It was a fun movie. It was it was entertaining. It was a good flick. Fan service is when he came out in the golden green suit and he had the scepter. That's Aquaman, right? Because that's the Aquaman the world knows and has grown up on and was in the cartoon and those were the action figures we bought. That's how he looked. It didn't matter that he didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes. I actually preferred that. I always thought that if the king of Atlantis was going to be the king of Atlantis, he should look more like an islander instead of a, you know, a Norwegian. <laughs> it would make no sense. He's constantly in the sun. He's constantly surrounded by water, so he should have like an islander feel to him. So I always thought that was a brilliant move on Zack Snyder's part to cast Jason Momoa. So that's fan service. And this was not fan service. This shit was biblical. What Marvel did with this movie was biblical. Tom Holland was introduced in Civil War. Tony, Tony Stark recruits him to catch Captain America. Then we shift over to Infinity, uh, Avengers Infinity War. Where he is one of the half of the galaxy that disappears into nothingness and then come back comes back in endgame now one of the biggest complaints people had about this iteration of peter parker was the influence that iron man had on him iron man helped him get his suits iron man helped him get his weapons iron man was there in a way to kind of mentor him in the comics peter parker never really had a mentor he did he was like a you know uh, a side Avenger, he did join the Fantastic Four briefly, so he does have team affiliations, but he never really had, like, a mentor. His mentor, first and foremost, was Uncle Ben, who was killed. And given, I guess, the notion to bring Spider-Man into the MCU, into this universe, Marvel brilliantly... Marvel or Disney, whoever you want to give credit to, Kevin Fahey, who's a genius, you know, to a to Ari a uh, what's his name? Oh man, I'm gonna butcher it. Ari Avad, if I'm getting his name wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, the gentleman who helped produce the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, that man deserves recognition, and they gave him a shout out in the credits because he helped finance that Tobey Maguire film, the first one. So Peter never really had a mentor, so. Seeing this in the Marvel Universe, it frustrated some fans. They wanted him to be more authentic. But if there's something I'm learning with Marvel and Disney, 
is that nothing is an accident. At this point, I'm convinced that nothing is an accident with these people. Their creative teams are, for lack of better words, absolutely brilliant. First Spider-Man film, Tobey Maguire, 2002, I want to say. Fun film. Great, great film. I mean, people were super hyped. I, I, I want to say that they were just as hyped as they are now for this film, for No Way Home, for, Spy for the first Spider-Man, if not more so. Because we only had, up until that point, Michael Keaton's Batman... Christopher Reeve Superman, uh, the X-Men, which had come out in 2000, and in 1997, Blade. So there were only really a handful of superhero films. On top of that, modern superheroes like Blade and X-Men. Listen to my podcast on Blade and you'll really see how much the money generated from that film helped these other projects along the way. So if anybody needs a, a, a even bigger shout out, is the Blade movie, but that's something else entirely. The film was made, James Cameron had done a treatment for it because he was attached to it, but then he left to pursue, I think, Titanic. So his treatment kind of stayed, stayed in the air, and then Sam Raimi, who did the Evil Dead films, got a hold of it, they gave it to him, he kind of rewrote it and gave us his version of Spider-Man. I absolutely loved it, of course, who wouldn't? You know, I remember there was a, a, a trailer. If you guys look on YouTube now, you may find it. It was like a teaser for that film that they had to remove because the World Trade Center had attacked. This was 9-11 attacks and the World Trade Centers had collapsed. But in this teaser, it showed a bunch of bank robbers robbing a bank on a building. And it looked very much like heat almost they come in you know they have suits they have masks they rob the place and they run upstairs to the roof where there's a helicopter waiting you see police chasing them the helicopter's going and all of a sudden in midair the helicopter stops like it jerks and you hear a beep 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 you know like there's something attached to it or you know something is stopping the helicopter from moving so the bank robbers are like yo what the fuck is going on like what, what's happening and one of the pilots is like i don't know we're caught on to something and all of a sudden the helicopter jerks back and it goes all the way back and all of a sudden it it stops in midair and the gangsters are like holding on or the robbers are holding on to the interior of the copper and, and they're looking around and when they come to realize they're in a humongous web and that web was in between the twin towers and then it was like you know coming this summer or whatever i'm getting chills talking about it now i remember coming this summer you know may uh, 2002 and it showed spider-man swinging it showed toby mcguire and the suit and his goggles you know everything and Oh, man, this shit was crazy. I must have burned out that trailer on my computer, on that dial-up fucking AOL. Whatever <laughs> whatever sound that thing used to make. I waited at least eight hours a day to download that teaser to see it for 30 seconds, and hopefully it wouldn't be interrupted, but that's how far back I go. And I saw it, and I loved it. Bunch of us went to the theater. And, of course, Spider-Man 2 followed, which is my personal favorite Spider-Man film. Spider-Man 3, um, I guess, you, looking at it now, it wasn't a terrible film. It's not It's not fair to say that it was terrible. It wasn't. They made a lot of mistakes. It felt, and, and I really, you know, I don't want to say this disrespectfully, but I think there was just a fatigue to it. I think everybody was kind of tired. These movies are very taxing. But 
you know, they, they had their version of Venom. I always said that Sandman, the character, was the strongest element of that film. Everything from the way he first appeared to the the genius of, of how he fought Peter. I always thought that was a brilliant, brilliant thing. And then those movies were done. Um, I think everybody, did, you know, was tired and they didn't want to come back for Spider-Man 4. And just to reflect on that, Tobey Maguire was or is the Michael Keaton of Spider-Man. You know, for however many more Spider-Man there will be, Tobey Maguire is is as, you know, you you know the kids call it nowadays the OG. He was a great Peter Parker. He wasn't fantastic, but he was solid. He was a, he was an excellent Spider-Man. You know, he did unbelievable. And the series shifted now to what is considered the amazing series, the amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. Those those were two films set. I don't think Andrew Garfield gets enough credit. To me, up until that point, he was my favorite Spider-Man. Only because he was a more emotional, and not an emo Spider-Man, because they tried that shit in Spider-Man 3, but he was a more emotional Spider-Man. He had a bit more pain to him. You saw them touch this time on his family, on his parents, which we had never seen before. Uh, it was very interesting, that aspect. And it worked. You know, it was a different movie. They had cast Sally Field as Aunt May. They cast Charlie Sheen. These are two veteran phenomenal actors as Uncle Ben. And the movies were solid. They were they were incredibly solid. I enjoyed them very much. One of the things I liked about Andrew Garfield was that he reminded me a lot of the way Todd McFarlane drew him. So he was very different physically to Tobey Maguire because he was very lanky. He was very long. So when he would swing in the air, it would look much more dramatic because he was his physically he was a lot longer. You know, he could do those really wild kind of Todd McFarlane covers where Peter's knees were touching the back of his head, you know, and those funky poses and everything else, you know. That's what it reminded me of. And I just thought that Andrew Garfield was, you know, a more profound actor than Tobey Maguire was. Not to say that Tobey Maguire doesn't have range, but respectfully, I think that Andrew Garfield just got the emotional side of Peter better. And honestly speaking, his relationship with Gwen Stacy, Emma Stone in those two films are probably... I would have to say as of right now, his relationship with Gwen Stacy and those set of films are the best superhero couple I have seen. They're, you could see how they're friends. You could see how they love each other. You could see how they want to protect one another. And ultimately, when he loses Gwen in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, that that moment was one of the deepest I'd ever felt watching any movie. Like, I definitely had an emotional reaction to that. It's just because of the brilliance of Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. And even though this is not Shakespeare and it's, you know, it's a comic book, they both knew how profound this moment was to Peter Parker. And they didn't fuck it up. And it's an it's a beautifully tragic and heartbreaking scene. Now, some of the things I didn't like from 
the original Spider-Man, the first one with Tobey Maguire, going back for a second, I wasn't crazy about the Green Goblin. I love William Dafoe. I liked the suit. However, the helmet made him look like a Power Ranger villain, like one of the mighty Morphin Power Rangers villains back in the 90s. And I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Why are they going this route? There's also test footage of him, apparently, or somebody wearing like a rubber mask that's still circulating now. My theory was William Defoe has one of the most iconic and most unique faces currently now in modern cinema. Why would you cover that shit up with a ridiculous helmet? I didn't understand. Everything else, the glider, everything else, I loved, right? But instead of calling this movie Spider-Man No Way Home, they should have called it Spider-Man We Fixed Everything because they literally fixed every single thing that was wrong with any other of the previous films, right? Otto Octavius, Alfred Molina is probably to me, well, he was up until this film, the greatest Spider-Man villain in the film versions. He's still up there. But I'll explain why that position has shifted now. Alfred Molina is an excellent actor. To say he looked the part is an understatement. To say that he played the part is an understatement. He could have done it hokey and ridiculous. He didn't. He respected the source material. Alfred Molina looked beautiful as Dr. Octopus in those films. He was a threat. He was a menace. But again, the most dangerous villains are the ones that feel that they're doing something right. That's the most dangerous adversary you could have. Then they moved on to Amazing Spider-Man 3. I'm sorry, uh, I don't want to get them crossed up here. Sorry about that. Amazing Spider-Man 2, where they introduced Electro with Jamie Foxx. Uh, and a retelling of the Green Goblin, but instead of it being Harry, uh, Norman Osborn, the father, it was Harry Osborn. Harry Osborn should be Hobgoblin, but whatever. They Films are notorious for doing this, right? Jamie Foxx, as Electro, when he goes through the process and he's blue, I thought he looked utterly fantastic. I thought he looked absolutely brilliant. I wasn't crazy about his alter ego, Max, um, who was like nerdy and had a comb over and who spoke to himself a lot and who had like, like neuroses and, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just thought it was, it was unnecessary. You know what I mean? Jimmy Fox is an Academy Award-winning actor. There was no reason to give him all that. Now, as Electro, he shined and he was phenomenal. Here, well, actually, let me let me try to stay course because I don't want to be all over the place with this, guys. I'm sorry, but there's just so much to talk about. So that's Amazing Spider-Man 2, right? And his Amazing Spider-Man 2, when he's fighting the Green Goblin, they even, towards the end, kind of alluded to a Sinister Six team-up or whatever the case. Sinister Six are all of Spider-Man's primary villains when they fight him at once. The Green Goblin, Dr. Octopus, Sandman, Electro, the Vulture, and I'm missing somebody else. Can't remember, but I do remember that there are six of them, the Sinister Six. And Amazing Spider-Man 2, towards the end, kind of alluded to that. For, for whatever rhyme or reason... Spider-Man 3 was... Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 3 was not to be. I, I do remember that they had filmed a scene with the young lady. I believe her name is Shalane Woodley or something like that. She's in those Divergent movies. She was supposed to be Mary Jane. 
So he, uh, Andrew Garfield, that was his intended Mary Jane, but they decided to cut that scene from the film. So Mary Jane never makes an appearance. Because of that, we have one of the most powerful moments, at least for me, in No Way Home, and I'll explain why. Why it was crucial and so much more important that they left out Mary Jane in the Amazing Spider-Man films with Andrew Garfield. Moving forward, our Peter now, Tom Holland, is introduced in Civil War. Tony seeks him out. I always loved their relationship. I always defended it. Where people are saying, no, that's bullshit. He doesn't make the suit for him and so on and so forth or whatever the case. That's what he, And even still, with all those complaints, those movies were still phenomenal. His appearance in Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, Endgame, Homecoming, Far From Home. They still had incredible balance. At the end of Far From Home, after he fought Mysterio and he went through hell and high water and Mary Jane finds out who he is on her own. The film ends with, and I remember when we saw this in the movies, we were like, wait, what is going on? Because it was J. Jonah Jameson from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, J.K. Simmons, who is now J. Jonah Jameson in this one. I remember people going, oh, wait a minute. Oh, shit. And then the movie ended with him saying, you know what? This is a shocker. It is apparent that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And everybody was like, holy shit, that even the character in the movie ends up holding his head. And he goes, what the f-? And it just ends right there. So I remember when we walked out, I'm like, yo, what is going on here? Did they recast him? Like, what? I had no idea that they were even coming remotely close or dipping their toe into the multiverse waters. Nobody had a clue. Nobody. At least that I know of. The third movie starts being talked about and people start speculating. Oh, the other Spider-Men are going to show up and oh, you know, this and that and the other and oh, you know, Daredevil is going to show up and you know, all this internet stuff, right? One thing I do love about fans is their dedication. One thing that annoys me about fans is that sometimes they don't know when to shut up and leave things alone. Don't ruin the surprise, man. Or if you want to talk about it, like try to at least make a privatized chat room that if people enter, they enter at their own peril. And if they find out, they find out. Don't ruin it for people. But anyway, this film begins immediately where Far From Home ended. So Peter's literally revealed to the world. He has to jump back down and grab MJ and they start swinging away and avoiding crowds and He even goes as far as to go into the subway to come out in his neighborhood in Queens to get her back home. Helicopter starts surrounding where he lives. I mean, it spreads like wildfire. We live in the day and age of information. So it spread in a matter of seconds, like people were in front of his house. So he now has to cope with this. And as he's coping with it, he's noticing that the fact that the world is aware that he's Spider-Man is now affecting the people that he loves. It's affecting Mary Jane. It affects Aunt May. It affects his best friend, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, it affects the people around him. Like Ned. I'm sorry, Ned, his best friend. So Ned and Mary Jane and him are trying to get into MIT. And MIT sends them a letter. And in very realistic fashion, especially in this cancel culture, 
In the letter they get, it says, unfortunately, because of the surrounding events and circumstances that you have been involved in, you know, we had to reject your your application to MIT. And that's that's a very real world thing, you know, depending on who you're associated with. You can't help that sometimes. You love people for who they are, not for what they do. You know what I mean? So that was very telling. And it was ver- to me, it was a very intelligent move into why Peter would then consider going to the only cosmic person he really knows who could help him, Dr. Strange, and plead with him. Is there a way that you could make people forget that I'm that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are one and the same? Dr. Strange, play, played by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, it doesn't really get much better than that. It doesn't. I mean, I'm sure... There may be a million other actors that could play Doctor Strange, but honestly, they'll never play it like him. He's absolutely fantastic. He just, he has a way to be funny and he has a way to be, I guess it's, a you know, that, that, that classic British theatrical training, but he just knows how to juggle the character. And it's a bit comedic at times and at other times he's serious, but he agrees to it reluctantly. He's like, listen, I could do this. You know, takes him down to his dungeon and they start, you know, to perform the ritual. And Peter now starts as the kid that he is. Not that he starts to renege on the deal, but he wants certain specifics. Okay, okay, well, can we not let Mary Jane forget? Like, I want her to remember. Oh, wait, but Ned, he's my best friend. You know, we can't make him forget. Oh, my God, but if Ahmed has to find this out all over again. And all in the while, Strange is conjuring this up. And every time Peter tells him something different... Now he has to stop and start over, stop and start over, and he's getting agitated. That creates an instability to the spell that opens up certain sectors of Spider-Man's universe or his multiverse. And in that opening, Peter, who is chasing down one of the heads of MIT, to kind of speak to them and to, you know, put in a good word for MJ and for for Ned. You know, don't don't cast them out because they know me. They're brilliant students. And he's literally standing on the Cross Bronx Expressway, which is about 15 minutes from my house. Like everything surrounding that area I knew. So he's trying to plead his case. And all of a sudden, while he's on the Cross Bronx Expressway speaking to this, you know, dean of admissions or whoever she was. The bridge starts feeling these impacts. Boom, boom. People start running in the opposite direction. Peter's like, hey, what are you running for? His spider sense is going off. Enter Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus looking better than ever. With that, hello, Peter. You know, with that cadence of his. They have a, you know, they have a go at it. It's quick. It's intense. It's fun. It's. I mean, you're on the edge of your seat. You're like, holy shit, man. Dr. Octopus from Spider-Man 2 is fighting this dude. Like, it's there. Then the fight is contained. I don't want to give everything away. And right as that fight comes to an end, you just hear, you know, Peter's sensors, uh, Spider-Sense goes off again. And you just hear something hit the floor go, ding, 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 ding. And it's a rolling orange and green ball. And there's an explosion. And you hear that laugh. <laughs> and he comes down on his glider. And it's the Green Goblin from the first Spider-Man. People are losing their shit. Now, this is nothing of a surprise because it was advertised all through prior to the release of the movie. 
So all of a sudden, Peter and Doc Ock disappear, and it's because Doctor Strange had pulled them out of that situation, and they contain Doctor Octopus. And that's where Doctor Strange tells Peter, because of what we did, we now have visitors from other universes who have fought Spider-Man, and they think you're their version of Spider-Man. So now they're going to come looking for you, and this is on you. Water break. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> okay, man. And I'm, I'm never. I mean, this podcast only allows me 60 minutes. I got about another 29 minutes and 30 seconds left, so I'm gonna make this as good as I can with the amount of time I have. But Peter and Doctor Strange are now there, so he's explained to him, you know, these people are now looking for you. We have to stop them, and we have to get them back to their own universe. So, all of a sudden, you know, MJ and Ned, who are helping him through all of this, they see patterns, surges of power throughout the city by power grids. Peter goes to investigate, lo and behold, it's Electro. What I didn't expect was for Sandman to show up to help Peter. Because he came through too. Now, if you remember the end of Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire, him and Peter Parker kind of ended it squash, like, you know, like, no hard feelings. So here he doesn't see Peter as a threat. He remembers him, if anything, more as an ally. However, Electro is kind of one foot in, one foot out. Now he looks more like Jimmy Fox aesthetically, which I thought was much better. Jimmy Fox is a gifted actor. And he's just more confused, but he is also turned on by the degree of energy that he feels around him because it's unfamiliar. He says it feels more pure, of course, because he's in another universe. So he's drawing in energy from that universe and it feels completely different and good to him. So they get caught up and now they're contained by Doctor Strange. They're kind of held in, not captive, but they're kind of held contained. So when they see each other, Electro looks at Dr. Octopus. He's like, who are you? And, you know, they kind of start talking to one another because they don't recognize each other. They're not from the same universe, which is fucking brilliant. Right? Situation continues now. And Dr. Strange found, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Dr. Strange who found the lizard because the lizard was maneuvering underwater. So he held him captive. I I don't recollect... Peter coming into contact with the lizard prior to that. I remember that when he first sees him, he's locked or he's he's being like held captive behind a wall. And Doctor Strange is like, see what you pull through? And there's even more of this shit going on. So now he has those people in captive. And now we shift to the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn. He's here. He's kind of, you know, nervous. He's panicking and the voice inside his head is telling him, you know, we're somewhere else and all this other shit. And that helmet is hanging like by the edge of a dumpster because he's in an alley trying to cover up the glider. And he finds like, ironically, this green coat and a purple hoodie that he's trying to hide under. And that mask is talking to him like in the previous films as he was in. And he ultimately takes something and he throws it at the mask and he breaks it, which made me very happy. It was a stupid fucking mask to begin with. Sorry. So now... They play Norman very much as though he has, you know, mental health issues. And technically he does because 
he has split personalities. So he's confused. He's like, I went to my house and, you know, there were people there. I, I can't find my son. You know, I need help. I need help. He goes to, of all people, Aunt May, who is, you know, always in the comic book. She's always the caregiver. She's running like a food drive for homeless people. And Norman Osborn goes there. So Peter shows up and he's like, May, stay away from him. She's like, Peter, he needs our help, whatever be the case. Dr. Octopus, Norman Osborn, they all kind of come together under this Peter Parker. And he says, guys, I can get you home, but we're going to have to work together. To which at one point, you know, Harry Osborn says one of his most famous lines. He goes, you know what? I'm a bit of a scientist myself. And this shit got a hilarious reaction because that's something he tells Peter in the very first movie with Tobey Maguire. So Peter says, as long as you guys promise not to, you know, if you guys, you know, stay with me, I can get you back to where you came from. But you have to trust me. So for now, they earn, you know, or better said, Peter earns their trust or flip that around. Yeah, or yeah, Peter earns their trust. And they take them back to Happy Hogan's place, who is John Favreau from the Iron Man films. And also one of the most brilliant minds now in the MCU in terms of directing contribution. This is the man that has done The Mandalorian and all this other stuff, so... Just to see him as a side character, you know, that man is like the new Steven Spielberg of all of this stuff. But anyway, they take him back to his house and, you know, you see them working together. And, you know, one of the things they do is that Dr. Octopus, one of the reasons why his tentacles are the way they are and they control him is because he had a neuroreceptor on the back of his head that was supposed to stop the arms from ever taking control of his mind. It was fried out. But Peter and Dr. Octopus, I'm sorry, Peter and uh, Norman Osborn develop it again and they put it into his head and you see Alfred Molina react. He's like, oh my God, everything is so quiet because now he has control again. So he, by that point now, is an ally to Peter because Peter did that for him. What's crazy at this point is that Peter all of a sudden senses a threat but there's nothing going on and that threat is getting louder and louder and louder so he's helped electro he's helped dr octopus and norman osborne has helped him but all of a sudden in happy hogan's apartment his sensors are going off like in never before and all of a sudden he's standing in the living room and they're telling him peter are you okay and he just starts shooting webs at norman osborne's hand and Norman Osborn turns around and he goes, so you figured it out. Like Peter, finally, his spider sense is like, yo, there's some bullshit going on here. Open your eyes. At that moment, all hell breaks loose. All hell just breaks loose. Sandman kind of disappears because the way the goblin is speaking to him and to Electro, he's like, we're gods. We don't need to go anywhere we could stay here and we could do whatever we want and they kind of fall for it Otto Octavius tries to protect Peter and they throw him out of a window at that point Electro and Sandman break out but the fight that goes down between the Green Goblin and Spider-Man is one for the ages 
This is what should have been in the first Spider-Man film, but we're getting it now. And here you see William Defoe's face and all those like character faces he's make, you know, he makes and he looks absolutely out of his mind. That man doesn't need a drop of makeup. And he starts literally throwing Peter through floors of the fucking building, just floor by floor, throws him into a wall. You see, finally, why the Green Goblin is, as I say, he is Spider-Man's Joker. He is his number one villain. It's not Venom. It's not Vulture. It's not anybody. It's always been Green Goblin. Here, now you see that shit. And it's absolutely fantastic, their conflict. Up until the Green Goblin ultimately has to take something away from Peter that Peter can never replace. And it happens practically in every universe. Excuse me, this should be no different. In fighting the Green Goblin and the Green Goblin is handing him his ass. Aunt May tries to protect Peter, Marissa Tomei. And as he's being held down, Green Goblin picks up his head. He's like, look, look at what you involved her in. Peter's like, May, run, run. She's standing there with like a pipe or something. You know, she's 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 from Queens, man. That's a nephew. She doesn't give a shit who you are. She's about to jack you up. Norman Osborn activates the glider. It rushes into the lobby of the building where they're all having a fight. Crashes into Aunt May, throws her across the room. And then Norman Osborn throws a bomb into the lobby as he's leaving. There's an explosion. There's chaos. Peter goes over to her and thank God she's receptive. He's like, Amir, are you okay? Are you okay? She's like, yeah. He just knocked the wind out of me. Come on, we got to figure out where he went. Come on, we got to you know do this and that, whatever the case. She's like, I just need to catch my breath. I just need to catch my breath. She stumbles for a second. She collapses. Peter's like, May, what's the matter? He's like, May, look at me. Are you okay? She's like, yeah, I just need to catch my breath. When the glider hit her, it wounded her mortally. So when Peter looks at his hand, it's soaked in blood. And it leads to one of the most incredibly emotional moments in that film. And right before that happened, right before she collapsed, she told Peter, Peter, you have to stop this. You have to get them all back home. Look at me. With great power comes great responsibility. The minute she said that, I'm like, she's done. Because that's Uncle Ben's line. And in this universe, we had no Uncle Ben. He spoke of him, I think, maybe once in the first film. So here, she was like mother and father and aunt and uncle. She was everything to Peter. So when she dies, you could hear a fucking mouse fart in that theater. Nobody said anything. And you could hear people sniffling. I had a reaction to it. Everyone did. Including my big brother Vic, who's made of oak. That man doesn't cry for anything. And it's funny because at the end of the film, his sons are like, Dad, I can't believe you cried. And he's like, I'm human. I feel. I'm like, all right, elephant man, relax. <laughs> you know, it was hysterical. But it 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 was an incredibly powerful moment. And you see where he's hurt. So now, and this is the moment. That changed everything. Mary Jane and Ned are trying to figure out where Peter is. Now, Mary Jane has this box. It's like a reset box that Doctor Strange gave her. 
that if shit goes wild, she'll hit it and it'll activate the multiverse and whatever the case. It'll take everybody back whether or not they've been helped or something like that. Ned got a hold of Doctor Strange's rings, which open up portals, right? I don't want to give too much away. It's a very kind of simple thing. There's nothing really big to it. He just got a hold of it. And as he's sitting in his mother's kitchen with Mary Jane trying to figure out where Peter is, he says, man, I wish I could just see Peter. And he like drops his hand on the table and the rings spark and directly ahead of them, there's like a little porthole that's opening. And Mary Jane goes, Ned, do that again. He, he goes, I wish I could see Peter. She's like, keep saying that, keep saying that and move your arm around. So he does the Doctor Strange thing. He opens a portal and Mary Jane is screaming. She's like, Peter. She's like, is that him? I can't tell. Peter, Peter, it's me, Mary Jane. Can you hear me? And you see a body, a familiar body in the Spider-Man suit. Look in the shadows. When he comes through the portal. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Andrew motherfucking Garfield in the house. Peter Parker from The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. He's like, yeah, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I just, I just showed up here and, you know, I, I was trying to figure out where to go. I saw everything happening and so on and so forth. And Mary Jane is hilarious. She's like, are you really Spider-Man? He's like, you know, and she's like, prove it, prove it. She starts hitting him with dinner rolls. It's hilarious. You have to see the movie to understand her. Have you seen it at this point? Because this is a spoiler review. You know what I'm talking about? Shit was hilarious. Like, Ned is like, my grandmother wants to know, or my mom, whoever that lady was, if you could remove the... Uh, what is it? The uh, the cobwebs from the corner. And you see Andrew Garfield crawling across the ceiling, cleans the cobweb. He jumps down. He wipes his hand. He's like, yeah, no problem. So then Mary Jane says, we have to try harder. Ned, do it again. And Ned starts. I wish I could see. I wish I could see Peter Parker, whatever it was he says. He opens another portal. And lo and behold, looking a little older, looking a little better. The OG, the original, el numero uno, Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire from Spider-Man 2002 through 2000, I want to say six, the original. He comes in with that look. He always has like this guy next door look. And I think that's what Sam Raimi captured so beautifully about that Spider-Man. And he comes in, you know, he has a very soft cadence for come. Hey, guys what's up you know and they start talking and interacting and mary jane explains and we can't find peter and collectively together they're like do you know somewhere he goes to find solace to be alone to be at peace because they they're literally all talking about each other and they even like andrew garfield goes yeah the empire state building and peter parker goes no the chrysler building there's no other view so they know each other and Mary Jane goes, yeah, I know where he goes. And it's to the top of the high school. And Peter's sitting there contemplating the loss of Aunt May, crying. And sure as shit, Mary Jane knows. So Mary Jane, Ned, hug Peter. He stands up and he's like, I don't think I could do this anymore. I don't think that like, he's defeated. He's absolutely defeated at this point. He lost one of the most important things to him. You know, in a series of movies that he also lost Tony Stark, his mentor. And on top of that, he lost Uncle Ben, which we have not really seen or were directed to. But we know that this kid just suffers loss over and over and over again. So Mary Jane is like, there are people here that need to see you. And let me tell you something right now. I don't remember the conversation verbatim. 
All I remember is looking at the screen and seeing something that I've waited to see my entire life. All of the Spider-Men ever on film interacting with one another. And I com- it was it was a thing of beauty. It was definitely magic. Everybody responsible for bringing that moment together deserves like a lifetime achievement award, I kid you not. It's funny because Andrew Garfield tells him shit, but it seems to, or maybe it's just me, my perspective, but it seems to me that whatever Tobey Maguire tells him carries more weight. I don't know why. Maybe it's me, but see the film again and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. As it should be, because Peter is technically the senior Spider-Man. So they all kind of literally walk Peter off that ledge. And, you know, they're like, listen, we're going to help you find a way to help the lizard, Sandman, Electro, Dr. Octopus, all of them. We're going to help you find a way to bring them back. And that's where, quite possibly, the greatest fight scene in the history of any Spider-Man film as of this moment and quite possibly one of the greatest fight scenes of any superhero film ever takes place. You see the three of them. And of course they do that money shot, man, when all three of them are swinging together and then they all land side by side. And that is fucking amazing. It is amazing. It is everything we waited for and we got it. Disney delivered right on time. It was a moment, man. I'm telling you. You'll see, you'll see for yourself if you haven't seen it. And if you have, you know what I'm talking about. They all go at it. They feed off each other at first. They're, it's very awkward. And, you know, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are like, you know, we've never done this before. We never worked in a team. And and, and uh, Tom Holland goes, listen, I know how to work with a team. All right. I was with the Avenger. And Tobey Maguire goes, that's awesome. And Andrew Garfield goes, he goes, I'm sorry, Toby Maguire goes, Avengers, what is that? <laughs> and Andrew Garfield goes, wait, you're in a band? Because <laughs> they don't know what the Avengers is. This shit is hilarious. Oh, but it's so good. It's so, so fucking good, man. It's so good. Wrapping this up, the movie continues. They do their part. Peter, Tom, uh, Tom Holland, our Peter. Finally gets a showdown with Green Goblin. And the shit is nasty and it's visceral. And Peter unloads on him. Unloads on him. And right beside him is the glider. And he picks it up. And he's about to impale that shit into Green Goblin's head. When all of a sudden, Tobey Maguire jumps in and stops it. And looks at him with this look. You don't want to do this. Now, mind you, Tom Holland continues to press forward. You see it on his face. And Tobey Maguire, against everything, is holding it up like, look at me. You do this now. You're going to change everything. And you won't forgive yourself later. Out of nowhere, the Green Goblin jumps up and stabs Tom Holland in the stomach. And he collapses backwards. To that, Tom Holland goes to attack him again. But I think it's Mary Jane or Andrew Garfield. I can't remember that. Throw him the cure. You know, they're like, Peter, and they, he grabs it in midair and he stabs Norman Osborn in the neck. And you just see Norman Osborn's face kind of change. He falls on his knees. His head clears. He looks at Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire smiles when he sees that our Peter Parker chose to do that instead of kill him. He smiles like, I know you have a good heart. Don't let me down. 
And he says, you know, Norman Osborne looks around and he goes, what have I done? And the movie kind of goes from there. Doctor Strange yells at Peter. He's like, Peter, they're all coming through. I can't contain this. I have to do the spell. And Peter says, make everybody forget. Everyone. He's like, That's, this is the only way. I don't want anybody to remember that I'm Spider-Man. I want them to forget who I am. Doctor Strange tells him, kid, are you sure? He's like, do it. He takes that moment and he sees Mary Jane and he sees Ned. And he tells them what's going to happen. Mary Jane, this is probably Zendaya's... I don't know much about that young lady other than she's very popular and you know I think she was a Disney kid. I wasn't against her casting as Mary Jane. I enjoyed her quite a bit. But this moment, by far and away, is her best acting. Because you could see the, the panic in her face. And she's always... Her character in this film is a type of person that anticipates disappointment kind of as, as a defense mechanism. So she's not let down. So you can see where she's panicking. She's like, no, no, it doesn't have to be that way. And he's like, listen to me. I'm going to find you. But you're not going to remember who I am. And she tells him, Peter, I love you. And she kisses him. And he goes to say, she goes, no. He goes, tell, she goes, tell me when you find me. Tell me then. She kisses him. Dr. Strange does his spell. That's it. Everything, every wrong is righted. And as the multiverse was cracking, you saw images of Rhino, of Craven the Hunter that were coming through. And that goes to show you the power of Dr. Strange, that he held that shit together alone. All right? The movie progresses. Earlier in the film, you see Mary Jane working in a donut shop. Peter walks in. Sure enough, she has no idea who he is. You know, she goes to wave at him. He gets excited, but it's because Ned walks right by him. He goes, hey, MJ, has no idea who that man is, that that was his best friend, his very best friend, walks right by him. Mary Jane and Peter have a brief exchange. And Peter just says, you know, she's like, is there anything else? They have a little exchange. And Peter goes, no, he had a list of things to tell her in his hand. But he folds the paper and he puts it in his pocket because anything worth getting takes time. So he walks out of the coffee shop. And then, you know, now he's. He goes to Aunt May's gravesite and Happy Hogan shows up and he's like, how did you know her? At that point, I completely forgot that he would also forget. And he's like, you know, she was uh, he's like, she was my aunt or something like that. He's like, yeah, he's like, she was a good woman. So he has no recollection of Peter at all. And that shit is heartbreaking because now this kid is alone. So they talk briefly and you see Peter's face, you know, just having to deal with the hardship that Happy doesn't know who he is after all they've been through. After everything with Tony Stark, it's like he never existed. Or better said, none of that ever existed. The movie ends with Peter walking into an apartment, you know, this really simple little place. You know, he's looking out into the city. But he's Spider-Man, baby. He's got to do what he's got to do, right? What did Ahmed tell him? He grabs his phone and he like has this police scanner app and you're like, you know, car 54-3, there's an assault on this and that. And he looks out and he grabs his mask. But this is one of the things that I love. As he's getting ready, the camera's focusing on a sewing machine and you see fabric 
blue and red fabric in a certain pattern. And then Peter jumps out the window. And as he starts swinging, the costume that is that he created is the original old school bare bones made out of cloth and fabric Spider-Man costume. And he looks absolutely fucking beautiful. No questions asked swinging in the air because he is now he's not Spider-Boy. He's not the young man who was trained and 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 helped by tony stark now he has to build his web shooters on his own now he has to make his own costume now he has to use that brilliant mind of his because he is now spider-man and by the way this is also officially a christmas movie because at the end of the movie he's swinging through rockefeller center they show the christmas tree uh, christmas tree it's officially a christmas movie this is not an argument this is a fact Spider-Man No Way Home is officially a Christmas movie, as is Die Hard, as is Batman Returns. I said what I said. Anyway. As fast as a possible 60-minute review that I could give, that is the most detailed I could do, guys. And all I can say is my personal rating for what I witnessed and what I experienced last night, without question, without hesitation... Watching all of the all of the previous films before this in, in iteration of Spider-Man of Tom Holland, the way they brought everything together, the way they delivered, the emotion, the heart, the laughter, the 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 sequence alone where Doctor Strange is chasing Peter Parker was worth the price of admission alone. Not to mention. One of my favorite Marvel characters of all time makes a cameo to offer legal advice to Peter Parker, none other than the lawyer from Hell's Kitchen, my boy, Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. I knew he was coming back. I knew he was coming back. I said it. I was like, he... I'm like, he, it makes perfect sense. Once I heard, I'm not going to say that I created, you know, that notion. But when people started throwing that around, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Because it did happen in a storyline that he actually does defend Peter. So when I saw Charlie Cox, who I actually met in real life because they were shooting uh, an episode of Daredevil season two in, in the hotel where I work. And I told him, I said, listen, man, I wish you unlimited success. I said, I'm a huge fan of the show. You will forever be Daredevil. You know, good luck. And he's like, thanks a lot. He has a big smile. I remember he has a huge smile. And he was in the movie. By far and away, Spider-Man No Way Home gets five stars across the board. Five stars, 10 out of 10, icing on the cake. This is a superhero masterpiece. And what I consider to be and I know this may be a bit controversial. The singular greatest superhero movie based on one character alone that I have ever seen. Better than Batman Begins. Better than Superman the movie. My favorite superhero movie. My favorite movie of all time. Superman with Christopher Reeve. Better than the Iron Man movies. Better than the Captain America movies. Better than Thor. Better than all of it. This is the definitive Spider-Man film. And quite possibly the most definitive superhero film out now. There was only one thing missing. 
Miles Morales. But we all know he's coming. Stay for the post credit scene. I don't want to give that away. And stay for another post credit screen, a scene which is more like a trailer. And I hope that you get the satisfaction of this film that not only myself, but my family, almost all of my family, got watching this unbelievable movie. This is the end of my podcast for the second season. The next time we talk to one another, guys, is going to be the premiere of season three. I cannot thank you enough for listening to everyone out there who I have not acknowledged I thank you for your commitment and keeping my little podcast active. Spread the word. If you know somebody who's into this stuff and loves it as much as we do, let them know. And again, I I cannot show you. There are not enough words for me to say that I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Season three will be coming up. I'm going to talk about. A lot of movies that I missed towards the end of this year. We're going to discuss The Eternals. We're going to do uh, James Bond Superhero Showcase. Because yes, James Bond is a superhero, whether you want to believe it or not. At least for me. Uh, The Eternals, James Bond, Hawkeye. Last episode of Hawkeye will be coming up this Wednesday. Be sure to catch it. Um, And a couple of other things that I just want to touch on briefly. We have a lot to look forward towards the new year. We have the Batman, we have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So many other movies coming down the pike, guys. There's a lot to talk about. There always will be, and I hope I can share it with you. To you and yours, have a safe and happy holidays. A happy new year filled with love, health, peace, prosperity, joy, all the good shit. We all deserve it. I wish that unto you and to your loved ones. Thank you all for joining me. I will see you in 2022. As for right now, this is Noel Cruz signing off for season two of Heroes Retreat. I'll see you guys in the new year. Take care. Be safe. My love to you all. Bye-bye.